And in the Muslim world, they tend to think of Christians as crusaders. It's been centuries, but that is still branded in their mind. That's how they think of us, violent crusaders. In the modern American world, Christians are often known for being judgmental or hypocritical or arrogant or rude or shrill, right? There's lots of things about that Christians are known for amongst non-believers. And, and we might want to say, well, no, we shouldn't care about that. But Jesus cared. Rebecca already gave you the verse that makes it clear that Jesus cared, that he wants his people to be known for one thing. And it has nothing to do with our arrogance or our closedness or anything else. It's love, right? She already she already cited the verse that I was going to go to, John 13, 35. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. That's what we are supposed to be known for. That's why the elderly apostle John, as we, I told the story a couple of weeks ago, that, that when he was at a point in his life where he really couldn't say much, what he would say over and over again when he was in public was, Little children, love one another. If we as Christians are known for anything less than love for one another, then we are dishonoring the name of Christ when we call ourselves Christians. And this, this love for which we are to be known is our focus today, because we're going to continue our series that, that walks through the, the letter of 1 John and looks at what I call the three rights of a believer, the, the three key themes from 1 John. And I had this slide up last week, and so I won't talk to it extensively. It, it illustrates the three intertwining themes of 1 John. If you've been reading along, and you know, I challenge you to read it each week, so you've still got two weeks left to read it if you, if you want each week. But the three themes of right living and right belief and right loving, and, and it's all centered around the purpose which is that we would have confidence in our faith, confidence in our salvation. And two weeks ago, we talked about the first theme, which is right living. And what we saw was that right living gives us confidence we truly know Christ. And last week, we talked about the second theme, which is right belief. And what we learned is that right belief gives us confidence we truly abide in Christ. And today we're going to look into a passage that introduces us to the third theme, right loving. And, and what we're going to see from this is that right loving gives us confidence we truly have eternal life. So turn with me, if you would, to 1 John chapter 3, verses 14 through 20. And I put it up on the screen, but as we go through the slide... It's often more helpful to have it in your hands so you can follow along when I put something else up. John writes, We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. I'll give you a brief grammatical note, which is that like many European languages in Greek, if you have a group of men and a group of women, you use the one term to describe the whole group. You use the masculine term. So he's not necessarily saying we don't love the sisters. It's encompassed in this concept here. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, 
and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. This passage is fairly easy to understand. It's the living it out part that's hard. That's the challenge for us. Uh, We heard Rebecca's testimony, and, and I think you would agree. She is living this out. She is following in the footsteps of Jesus and going and taking the love of Christ to a people that is closed and hostile and non-believing. When we talked two weeks ago about walking in the way Christ walks, that's how he walked. He also went into an unbelieving culture that was hostile and opposed and demonstrated great love. But for most of us, our calling is not as dramatic or as dangerous as Rebecca's. But we have a calling nonetheless, and it's clear in this passage that we are all called to demonstrate the love of Christ each and every day to other believers. So to help us understand what that means and how to to live that out, I'd like to look at five things that we can see in this passage about right loving. The first of them is that right loving is really the sign that we are alive. Verse 14 says, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. The Bible consistently teaches us that at the moment that we put our faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, when we ask for forgiveness of our sins, at that moment we move from spiritual death, which is our natural state, to eternal spiritual life in Jesus Christ. But you might ask, how do I know this has happened? Yes, the Bible tells me this has happened. And that is, we've talked about right belief and the importance and the confidence we gain from this. But how do I know, right? Now, many times there's a lot of transformation going on in our life at this point, and that that helps us to know. But, But we really want to know, because this is a tremendous claim, and there's a lot at stake, right? Life and death in a spiritual sense. And I think it's very interesting that John tells us that the way we know is not that, you know, we suddenly feel completely different, although quite often we do feel very different. You know, many times a burden is lifted off our hearts. And it's not that we're suddenly able to fly around like Superman or that we can work miracles like Peter and Paul could. The way we know that we have passed out of death and into life is that we love other believers. You see, for a Christian, loving other believers is kind of like the pulse of our faith. What I mean by that is the way we know we're physically alive is based on our pulse. If we come across somebody out on the sidewalk who's lying on the ground and unresponsive, One of the first things either we or the EMTs are going to do is take their pulse. When you're in the hospital and you're you're very sick, one of the vital signs they're constantly monitoring is your pulse. It tells us whether you're physically alive and and gives you insight into just how strong and healthy your 
fundamental systems of your body are. Well, in that same way, how we love our brothers and sisters in Christ is like our spiritual pulse, right? If we're loving others, and that demonstrates that we are spiritually alive, that we have passed from death into life. When we're loving others, our pulse is strong and steady. But if we're not loving other Christians, if we're, if we're ignoring them and walking right by them in their pain, or if we're, if we're harboring anger and bitterness towards them, then we're choosing to abide in death rather than pass into life. And, and in that case, our pulse is weak. It's, it's fluttery. It's thready. We may not even be able to detect the signs of life at all. That's how essential our love for others is in helping us know our condition. Right, it doesn't change our condition, but it helps us understand our condition. Now, John continues, and we see that, he, that right loving is not selective. Now, by that, I mean it does not discriminate between one Christian and another. We don't get to pick and choose which Christians we're going to love and which Christians we get a pass on loving. We don't get to just love the Christians who look like us or the Christians who, who come from the same background or have the same amount of money as us. No, we don't get to do that. Because he writes in verse 15, Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. If we make a habit of harboring ill will towards any other Christian, any other Christian, any other brother or sister, then we're sinning. And we don't have that pulse of our faith available for us. Now, his language here is extreme, right? He's talking about murder, and you're like, what's, uh, I don't think I've been murdering anybody. But Jesus talked about this in the Sermon on the Mount, right? He explained in chapter 5, if you have, you have heard that it was said of those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. You see what Jesus just did? He put the punishment in parallel. They're equal. And so in the process, he puts murder and anger towards another Christian equal. That's what John is picking up on here when he says that whoever hates his brother is a murderer. We don't get to love almost every Christian except for that one person who's sitting a few rows away from us or on the other side of the church. We don't get to love most Christians, but not that one who's annoying or mean or weird or who gossiped about us or who hurt our feelings, who treated us terribly. And that is not to diminish their sin. Right? That's not to excuse them of what they did. Because their sin is their business. And they must deal with that. But how we love them in spite of their sin, that's our business. We have to love them because no matter how unlikable they are, Jesus died for them. The same way he died for us. We have to love them. And if we don't make loving them the pattern of our life, then we cannot have that confidence 
that we have truly passed from spiritual death into eternal life. And I recognize that this is really, really hard to do sometimes. But we're called to do it. And it's hard, and we're going to fail at it sometimes because there's something about being a Christian, right, that, that we lower our guard around other believers as we should. We open our lives to them. We build relationships with them. And then, sometimes, because we're all still sinners, something goes wrong. And they sin against us, and they hurt us in a way that non-Christians could never hurt us. And it doesn't make it okay. But when we harbor ill will and anger and bitterness and let that fester in our hearts, we need to recognize that that is sin. And we need to repent of it, and we need to ask for God's forgiveness, and we need to ask for his help in changing our heart and replacing that bitterness with love. And the good news is, when we mess up, and and like I said, we're going to make mistakes sometimes. This is hard. But the good news is, if you go back to 1 John, the very beginning of chapter 2, it's what we talked about two weeks ago, right? We always have the greatest defense attorney ever who's ready to stand up 24-7 when we come to him and ask forgiveness. And he will stand up and defend us before the Lord, and we will receive forgiveness. And then the other good news is that we don't have to just love people who are unlovable on our own strength or out of determination. We have help. Because love is the first part of the fruit of the Spirit. So as we strive to walk in the way that Jesus walked, and as we permit the Spirit to work in our lives, He will produce fruit. And He will supernaturally give us the ability to love in a way that does not discriminate. John continues on into verse 16, and he shows us that right loving is sacrificial. He says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. The first part of this phrase literally tells us that Jesus' sacrifice is how we came to know what love actually is. That our lasting and permanent understanding of love is defined by his sacrifice. Before we understood that, we we had some concept of love. We probably talked about it a lot. Our culture talks about love all the time. It's in TV shows and books and movies. I mean, it's a lot of love talk. But truly understanding it is only possible in light of the sacrifice of Christ. His willing sacrifice on the cross is what demonstrated true love. That he was willing to lay down his life and to die in a really, really terrible way. Like, one of the worst ways ever conceived of to die. So that our sins could be forgiven. So that anyone who calls on his name and puts faith in him as Lord and Savior can live in paradise forever. But John didn't stop with Christ's sacrifice, did he? He calls us to do the same thing for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Right loving is sacrificial, even unto death. 
We owe it to our brothers and sisters in Christ, even the ones that we may not enjoy spending very much time with. We, I mean, it might be easy to say, well, I, there's some people I'd sacrifice my life for, but then there's some who I don't. But it's not about that, right? And we have to be willing to do this because Jesus died for them, the same as he died for us. And through our willingness to sacrifice ourselves to whatever extent it takes, other people, non-believers, might come to know Jesus by our love for each other. And we probably won't be called to die. But that willingness to sacrifice and to bear suffering and pain, to walk with and support our brothers and sisters in Christ, that's essential. Right? It's what right loving requires, that sacrificial love. John continues, and he tells us that right living is also like right loving, sorry, right loving is also practical. Again, another feature we see of Rebecca's testimony. John writes in verses 17 and 18, but anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. The emphasis here is not on how much pity we muster up when we see a Christian in need. It's not on how often we can reassure them that we will pray for them, although, of course, we should pray for them. The emphasis here is quite tangible. It's on our willingness to open up our wallets and share of our prized possessions and give of our precious time to genuinely care for those who are in need whenever we encounter them. And John, it's crystal clear here, right? If we have been blessed with the things of the world, and and many of us in this room have been, if we've been blessed in this way, then we have a responsibility to care for brothers and sisters in need. See, these things that we have been given are not, they're not ours. They have been entrusted to us by God to use for his purposes. And, and yes, I believe firmly that our enjoyment of them is one of his purposes. I'm not calling us to um, some monastic life where we never enjoy anything he gives us. But there is a greater purpose as well, and that is to glorify him by helping to build up his kingdom here on earth. And that's why we should never hesitate to share our worldly goods, to bless other brothers and sisters when they're in need. And and even if it's at the risk of being taken advantage of or being made a fool of, it is better to make a mistake in being too loving than to make the mistake of being too shrewd. What are the consequences if we don't? Well, Like a pulse, this indicates that God's love is not residing in our hearts. Ultimately, a failure to love people in deed and in truth leaves us with no confidence that we have faith. We have no confidence that we have moved from death into life. And so right loving must be practical. And then at last, we come to the core of the matter, the intersection of right loving with John's purpose in writing this letter, which is to build our confidence in our salvation. And it's in verses 19 and 20. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. 
For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. As I told you last week, our feelings can lie to us. There may come a day when your heart starts whispering terrible things to you, where your heart starts to tell you that you aren't good enough, that God couldn't possibly love you where your heart tells you that you aren't important enough and that God wouldn't be interested in your concerns and your fears and your problems, where your heart might begin to tell you that you're not smart enough or not beautiful enough or not thin enough or not, not rich enough or not wise enough or not old enough or not young enough to matter, or that your heart tells you that, that your sins are too awful, that God could never forgive that. Or that your heart would begin to tell you that you're too different, too unlovable, and that God could never accept you. Your heart is lying. John tells us exactly that when he talks about being condemned in our heart. He is talking about the false condemnation, the lies that our heart will tell us. This is why he wrote this letter, so that when our heart starts lying to us, we can look objectively at the evidence of our lives and confidently tell our heart to be quiet. He wrote so that when we look at our our love for others, if we look at what we believe, when we look at how we live our lives, that we can know that we are full of love for God and that we are full of faith and that we have eternal life. When our heart condemns us, John says that we can pacify our heart. That's what this word reassure means. It talks about pacifying it, settling it down in the presence of God. And we can do that because we know that our belief is right, our living is right, and most importantly, as we're talking about today, our loving is right. If we're loving right, if we're loving sacrificially, if we're loving practically, if we are loving without discrimination, then we can take our spiritual pulse and we can know that we have passed from death into life. And with that knowledge, we can be confident in our salvation, even when our hearts are busy sowing doubt and discord and tearing apart our faith. So when we're stuck in that spiritual desert that we've talked about for the last few weeks, when we're questioning everything about our salvation and wondering if our faith is genuine and we're doubting whether God is listening to our prayers, we can hold tight to this truth. That no matter how distant God might feel to us on a given day, the truth is that he knows everything. And he is always near to us. That he knows of our love for one another and that he is more powerful than our deceitful hearts could ever be. And that's why right loving gives us confidence that we truly have eternal life. Please join with me in prayer. Father God, we thank you for these words of reassurance. We thank you for the truth that you give us that as we love sacrificially, as we love practically as we love without discrimination, that we can be confident that we have passed from death into life. Lord, we thank you for the salvation that you give us through our faith in Jesus Christ. 
and that reassurance. And Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here who is struggling with issues of, of that love and struggling with issues of pain and bitterness and anger, I pray that you would help to transform those feelings into genuine love. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. As the music plays, I would ask you to reflect on your love for other believers. And if that love is shouting out to the world that you are a follower of Jesus, then rejoice in your confidence in salvation. But if you find that you're harboring some anger and some bitterness towards another believer, whether it's someone in this room or who used to be in this room, or someone from your distant past, then then I would ask that you would recognize that and put that before the Lord. Reject these feelings. Confess your sin to God and, and pray for his help in healing. And ask also of a pastor or a trusted Christian friend for their help as well. This is also a time for decision, which is if you're not yet a member of Lake Ridge Baptist Church, but you feel God is calling you here to walk with us, as we try to walk as Jesus did. And as the music plays and as we sing, I'd encourage you to come forward and join us in the front. And if you haven't yet given your life to Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then I would pray that you would. Confess your sins to God. Put your faith in Jesus as the risen Son of God, as your Lord and Savior. And and just grab hold of that gift of eternal life that God holds out to you. And once you do so, come forward and celebrate the good news with us this morning.